Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, dying time is here. This is Kill by Kill, Friday the 13th, 3D. That's right, ladies and gentlemen, this is the Kill by Kill podcast. Welcome to Camp Crystal Lake, or as close to it as we can possibly get. My name is Patrick Hamilton. I'm a supposed Hollywood professional, only because I don't make money any other way. And as always, I am joined by the one and only Gina Radcliffe, all the way from New York City. How you doing, Gina? I I am well. I am uh, in the third dimension. I'm 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 trapped. I can see pitchforks and and yo-yos flying right at my face. It's 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 both uh, kind of neat and a little troubling. Uh, and for those wondering, if you're perhaps new to the podcast or just want to be reminded, the Kill My Kill podcast here, we look at the least examined component of any horror film, the characters, because every hack slash and decapitation is just opening the book on these wonderful, uh, they're, they're, they're barely people, actually. I shouldn't talk them up that much. Just interchangeable dead meat, sacks of flesh meant to be torn asunder for the audience's <laughs> entertainment. That is very vivid. Gina. Is that the, is that, the, did I already, did I already peg this week's hashtag, hashtag sacks of flesh? Uh, <laughs> I'm on fire. We may, we may have peaked early. Yeah. I, yeah uh, all downhill from here, baby. <laughs> well, let's get into it. Uh, before we talked about our, our poor departed store owners, Harold and Edna, uh, who just needed to leave Earth to, to find a better place. John Waters is the Lockhorns. <laughs> in 3d no less we're sorry they're gone but i i think in the end are we're, we we're kind of are, are we really no no we're not sorry at all actually i uh, i know that the health inspector in town is kind of happy about it after we uh see them depart then we meet everyone else on earth following the pattern of the previous two films uh we meet chris who is a trauma survivor. She has inherited a cabin. She may or may not have been molested by Jason Voorhees. No one quite knows. Yeah, the, the it, movie seems to play a little fast and loose with that in a sort of unpleasant kind of way. Yeah, and it makes absolutely no sense in terms of the, the timeline that the, this film establishes. And I might remind everyone, this movie was directed by the same person who directed part two. He just was unwilling or unable or just didn't plain give a fuck when he had a flashback scene of our toxic Avenger version of Jason coming after Chris and the previous films, just Mutant backwards, Hillbilly, backwards, I think is how we refer yeah, to backwards him. backwards mutant. Backwards mutant. He's like a cousin of the peacocks from, from the X-Files. <laughs> I, again, very accurate description. You're on fire today. Uh, so we meet Chris, then we meet Debbie and Andy. They are our designated fuck couple. Uh, this particular iteration of fuck couple stands out because Andy is an acrobat and Debbie is pregnant. That's about it. Otherwise, they're just like any other fuck couple on any other Friday the 13th movie. And if you think Jason is going to be like the predator and take sympathy on a, uh, on a pregnant woman, you're in for some disappointment. Then, we meet Shelly. Shelly is our Hebraic trickster. The, dubi uh, <laughs> the dubiously named Shelly Finkelstein, which, what does Shelly stand for? Sheldon? 
I would assume it is short for Sheldon, yes. Sheldon actually fits him better. I think Shelley applies too much myth to him as a person. Shelley is the name of, you know, the fun, cool guy. He is neither the fun or the cool guy. He is the irritating, constantly playing tricks guy. Yeah, not only is he constantly playing tricks, but he's got a horrible attitude about life. But I think we'll we'll save the majority of our conversation about Shelley for his particular episode, because he is, unpacking him is going to take a while. He might be, he might be the only really memorable character in this movie is is the the guy with the jufro yes i mean physically he stands out from the crowd uh and i don't listen are you body shaming i'm not body shaming him in fact i'll say this there's dozens of shelley's if you just carbon copied him <laughs> running around brooklyn right now getting laid well, that's true, especially with the hair. That that hair, yes. that, oh. that hair is popular. It only matters because of his fucking attitude. It's the worst. He's the worst. Not because of the way he looks, and it's partially the way he acts, but a lot of it is the way he speaks about other people and himself. It's not attractive. It, he could look like the hottest dude ever to walk around in plaid. Whoever that person is. There's a lot of choose from in this film of hot dudes walking around and playing. But it doesn't matter. He's just fucking horrible. And then uh, to cap it all off. Well, no, wait a second. We got Vera. Vera has the distinction of being the first person of color to be allowed to speak. I think for at least for an extended period of time. I know other people have raised their hand and said yes or had an under three. But Vera is the first you could qualify for a SAG card performance as a person of color in a Friday the 13th movie. You can still count the number of them probably on one hand at this point, but it's still it is still a remarkable achievement. And considering the audience that these films had, which spanned across all racial barriers, there were just tons of African-American fans tons of latino fans they love these movies you you can see how diverse the people who like friday the 13th movies are and i'm sure at the time this is very very true uh, as well uh, it certainly is in my experience and in, in, in talking to people about it so that's vera uh let's let's discuss her relationship with her mother when we talk about her uh then we get to chuck and chili who are not our designated fuck couple. I don't believe that they have a truly sexual relationship. They are just stoners straight out of a Mad Magazine parody. <laughs> Lifted whole cloth. Yeah, all they're missing and is given the, life. All, all they're missing is the um the drug rug, the the, the ponchos that like uh, Yes. The drug all... rug. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't make that up. You never, you never <laughs> called it that. No. Maybe, maybe it's a Jersey. No, thing. I grew up Mormon. I didn't get any of the cool lingo. <laughs> None of it. I mean, yeah, and yet you knew exactly what I was talking about. Oh, it's it's evocative again, <laughs> Gina. You are on fire right now. Okay, you have a, a clarity of vision that I truly appreciate at this moment. 
And then we are off to Higgins Haven. Along the way, we meet Abel, uh, who is a drifter filling in for the don't go there role that crazy Ralph usually fills, but he's guy. dead. And, yeah. and yet somehow Abel has the distinction of not being killed, which is, which is very odd. And, I, and I'm wondering if, yeah, just, it, that does seem to be an interesting creative choice in that he plays the role that, you know, the person always shows up in these movies is somehow, you know, you know, don't go up there. You're all doomed. And that is just some, you just, Crazy Ralph or, you know, Loco Larry or, you know, but, but he it's presumably probably got hit by a car from his habit of laying down the middle of the road. But yeah, I mean, he's, he's in danger on a constant basis, regardless of his encounters with Jason. That's for sure. But the, the um, presumably he, he does not meet the end of his life at the, uh, at the hands at the gnarled hands of Jason. What we get the privilege of seeing is him holding an eyeball up to the camera from somewhere or something or someone, not, but he's not, got it. Not the only time in the movie that an eyeball prominently placed in the camera will appear. Don't, don't give too much away, Gina. <laughs> and then we finally meet Rick. Um, he's a local. He's very meaty. And I... <laughs> His torso is is filled with meat. I I I I don't want to body shame him either. We're all God's creatures, but from from waist to neck, there's he's packed to the gills with muscles and the largest rib cage ever. Yeah, he's I'm got assuming. A, he's got a little bit of a a, a human fred from scooby-doo look definitely with like the the like you know normal sized legs and then yes. like the like upside down triangle mm -hmm. upper body yeah he's a taller version of he-man with a better haircut but he he can uh, rip off a shirt at any time he's very into having sex with chris chris does not seem all that interested in having sex with rick and Rick doesn't quite understand why that is. It doesn't stop him from talking about it constantly or grabbing at her like he owns her. He's a caveman. Yeah, I'm looking at pictures of him and this dude looks like the fucking brawny guy. Just, <laughs> he, he does. I mean, he, 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 he's, all he's missing is the mustache. So we meet all these characters in very quick, uh, you know, sequence. This drives Vera up the wall or perhaps she is just tired of Shelley's bad, bad attitude. So they take off for a market. Yes, people, we not only got to see one local market, here's market number two. Yeah, this because really, uh, kids love convenience stores. Yeah, this is really this is really a celebration of the the small business owner. <laughs> at least at least in the, the, the Crystal Lake, New Jersey area. Yeah, like if you need to go pick up beer and a wedge of lettuce, we're going to know all about it in Friday the 13th 3D. It's coming at you. So here we are at local market number two, which at least is more brightly lit and appears to have a wider array of things for sale. Most of their packaging is closed. I don't think the person behind the counter is any better of a human being, because when Vera goes up to pay for the groceries that she's collected, the person behind the counter responds with, Well, 
I hope you got cash because we don't accept no green stamps here. Food stamps. Excuse me. Food stamps. <laughs> which is worse by a million percent. I don't know why this is done other than, I guess, the thrill of seeing racism, casual racism portrayed on the silver screen. Regardless, Vera is so dismayed by this, she asks for cash from Shelly. Shelly throws his Velcro wallet at the camera because you needed another reason not to like Shelly. He's a Velcro wallet owner and it's intercepted a la NFL style by Fox. And Fox is really the character we're here to talk about. Fox is the female uh, part of a very small theater troupe slash biker gang. Yeah, this is, um, I, I was thinking about this before we recorded tonight and how the, the whole scary biker gang thing was very much a, a thing in the 70s and 80s. And then yes. I'm, I'm trying to think, when did that stop and why? Oh, I, I probably because it was just done to death. You obviously have a couple of scenarios where this originates out of, out of the sort of biker flick, uh, craze of the sixties and seventies. There, a lot of, uh, bike exploitation. Then you yeah, have then, the Australian road bully version of it. Right. And, and then, then, and then you got like every which way but loose when they're kind of just, you know, buffoons. Yes, who you get, have the, who, the who Stephen hot, who get hot tar poured on them, and then you know they're fine, <laughs> they're okay. <laughs> yeah, their skin isn't peeling off, which is what would actually happen. They're also hit multiple times by an orangutan, and I, be honest with you, I think I could take one, maybe two hits from an orangutan. I may be underselling my endurance, but. I'm here to tell you, I, I think an orangutan could knock your fucking head off. I've only held one orangutan baby in my life, but stronger than fuck. You also have Stephen King Greaser, which is another pre permutation of this. And I think this hues closer to the gross local sort of vibe, I think is what they're trying to go for here. And Fox is a very attractive woman. The first thing that she does is rip open Shelly's wallet, I think looking for cash, and she finds a condom and then holds it up to Vera and says, is this your rubber? Well, no. You saw the person who threw the wallet. I'm pretty sure that's Shelly's rubber. Okay, well, let's back up a sec. So when Vera goes to the store, they're confronted by this uh, local group of, of <laughs> ruffians. Uh, and we I'm meet Fox. My group, there's three of them. Yeah, a trio. <laughs> a trio. A cluster of bikers. Yeah. And, uh, they're, they each have very distinct personalities. There's Fox. She's a lady. There's Ali. He's the guy with chains. And there's Loco, who is balding. And that's about it. He's the white guy. I mean, that's, that's. He's it's a it's a very modern multicultural biker gang. Yes, I, I don't but, know. I don't know how how likely that actually happened in real life, but whatever. But we are given the privilege of two more people of color that weren't there before. Of course, there are people who want to burn a place down and uh, try to kill people with a chain around their fist. But other than that, they seem swell. Yeah, Fox kind of has a bit of a uh, is trying to go for a bit of a. Pam Greer thing, I, I I feel like. Oh, yeah. I mean, can we talk about her outfit for a second? Because <laughs> there is, it's, it's mystifying to me. If we're going from the bottom up, she's she's wearing 
inappropriate boots to be on a, the back of a motorcycle with. Then she's got bad sandy pants from Greece and a foxtail strung around her upper thigh. Yeah, this is very much the, the Party City biker mama costume. <laughs> what is that supposed to signify? I, I mean, if you were to see somebody walking around in tight, weird satin pants and they had a raccoon's tail strapped to their upper thigh. Why doesn't she have, why, is, why not a foxtail? Is it a foxtail or is it a raccoon's I, tail? I, I can't tell, but it should be a foxtail. I mean, that would make sense. Well, why does that make sense? Because her name is Fox. Obviously. Oh. Oh, I mean, Fox. So the three of them, after being conf- after confronting Shelly and Vera and, and Shelly uh, running over their bikes uh, and Ali punching the fuck out of that VW, the, this particular trio decides that they're going to get their revenge on Shelly and Vera. They're going to follow them up to Higgins hideaway and burn down a barn. I don't know how that's equal. But that's their plan. I was going to say it's a little, it's a, a little extreme. And this is our one of our introductions to the quote unquote barn of doom. The only thing missing from this barn when the camera lands on it is cartoon bats and flashes of lightning. <laughs> dun dun dun. <laughs> pretty much, that's the it's suspicious or, or dramatic chipmunk. That's the only thing missing <laughs> from the barn of doom. Because almost every other death happens in the fucking thing. Jason really um, economizes how much moving he does in this. Yes. Just, you know, keeping it. Whereas, you know, certainly in the second one, he was just all over the area. Now he just seems super observant to like maybe like a 500 yard <laughs> radius. Yeah, he doesn't seem super mobile anymore. Maybe it's because of how much bulking up he's done in the meantime. Well, you know, you see like you. you see like weightlifters, they kinda of take those mincing little lady steps like like they're wearing <laughs> like they're wearing high heels that hurt their feet. Yeah. You know, I mean, well, that's, yeah, that's that's what's happening to him. Is his thighs are too thick and, and he can't take full long steps. Well if you rub them together too fast, you could light something on fire. So Fox discovers this barn. She she goes inside and she is delighted by everything she encounters. She's like an eight-year-old at FAO Schwartz. She's just, oh, is that a saddle? Oh, and she caresses it. It's this hay. Ha <laughs> ha! Is that a sled? Let me bang it with a piece of metal. She, I, yeah, I don't know. The, this is the first time that this grown woman in rural New Jersey has ever encountered a barn. Yeah. <laughs> And by the way, I, I can't remember if we said it in the last episode or not. This is the first time that filming flipped from the East Coast to the West Coast. And you can tell because everything is brown as fuck around here. <laughs> at, least not, at least not one of those things where you can just make out a palm tree in the background. <laughs> oh, no. When they pick up Vera, you can see a palm tree in the background. Really? Oh, yes. Is it, it's not probably not as blatant as um, as Halloween was with that. But, well, they're, uh, they're practically filming in the same neighborhood. <laughs> I, yeah, instead of Pasadena, they're filming in Altadena. But, yeah, you can see palm trees because there's palm trees all over Southern California. Yeah, they're probably like three miles away from each other and location wise. Um, so she's bopping around this barn. We see Jason creeping on her in the background 
like he's sliding into her DMs. She then trips and almost takes a header into Chekhov's pitchfork and then spies the second level of the barn and goes up to swing off the rope that we saw earlier used to haul hay up uh, by Rick. Uh, She is, again, delighted as hell by this. Yeah, I mean, honestly, if I almost face-planted into into a pitchfork, I'd be like, hey, you know what, I'm going to go wait outside for a little while. I think I've had enough treating this barn like it's like it's gymboree. I mean, this is just... <laughs> I mean, I'm, then again, I'm kind of an anxious person anyway, so all I would... I would look at something like that, and all I would think is tetanus everywhere. Mm-hmm. Just covered... Yeah. Everything is covered in tetanus. It's not someplace I want to start touching and grabbing things. Let's put I, it I don't that know way. The, I don't know if bikers really care about tetanus much, but, you know... They should. I don't think that Fox, Loco, or Ali has health insurance. I, I think they should be worried. They, 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 you don't know. They could be in, like, you know, Bikers Amalgamated Union number five. <laughs> They're in a local? <laughs> sure. Why not? In the meantime, Loco and Ali have been siphoning gas from the stoner's van that uh, the group all drove up in. I don't know who that van actually belongs to. It seems to be the type of van that Chili and Chuck would own, but they're never driving it. And at one point, while Ali is getting ready to siphon gas, Loco's like, hey, do you want me to do it? Like, he doesn't trust Ali's ability to suck gasoline through a tube, which is like, no, 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 save your strength. Let me swallow some gasoline. Which to me means you just want to swallow some gasoline. Ali like gives him a canister, and I didn't notice this until just today. His journey from the van to the barn is this. His version of stealth is the same as Bluto's from Animal House. Yeah, it makes me think that he that this is his in joke. Because it's dead fucking on. Loco finds Fox swinging and says, like, oh, like, Ollie's gonna beat the living hell out of you if he finds you screwing around, which uncovers a lot of their dynamics. <laughs> Sounds fantastic. And then suddenly Fox disappears and Loco's like, the hell? He goes inside looking for her. We get a lot of foreground background action going so the 3d pays off and then somehow loco wanders by fox who is pinned to a beam of that barn through her neck by a pitchfork he just walks on by it like oh i don't have periphery vision on my left side yeah foxes we don't see fox's death on camera and it's one of those things where you can't really let logic get in the way of enjoying this movie. Yeah. Because, because, you know, her head should have probably torn off, like, almost immediately afterwards. I mean, nobody, body weight is going to support being held up on a, you know, a six-inch wide plank by a pitchfork. And also, did he just scoop her up with this pitchfork and, and you know, just nail her to it? The physics involved in this are a nightmare. It's an evocative visual, I will give you that. It's certainly a better payoff than how Loco gets it, which is with, as as seems to be a theme in this film, a second pitchfork. You not only get one local market, you get two. Now we've got two pitchfork deaths, one after the other. One through the neck, one through the midsection. I think my my favorite part is that the cigarette does not fall out of his mouth. No, it's attached to him. It is part of Loco. Because one of my one of my favorite, it reminds me of one of my favorite bits from Ghostbusters, 
Okay, which... be very careful of my childhood when you talk about this. <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry, I, I will be... My childhood is very fragile. When Ray turns the corner and he sees uh, he sees Slimer and he's got the cigarette and it just yes. sort of slowly starts falling out of his mouth and then just hangs on his bottom lip. Yes. And, and he just like like backs away and it's still just sort of hanging and eventually it falls off for some reason. I would love to know yeah. I, would, I would love to know how many takes that required because it's so perfectly done. Yeah. And just like the expression on his face just doesn't change and the cigarette just slowly falls out of his mouth <laughs> and it and it I I love it. It's one of my I know it's a weird thing to say that you particularly that you find enjoyable, but that's like one of my favorite moments in that. No, I think the enjoyment of Ghostbusters and let's let's come out and say we're pro Ghostbusters in almost all of their iterations, with the exception of the second movie, which just isn't all that enjoyable. And I think that was when Aykroyd, I think, was probably a little bit smarter about his physical comedy oh, yeah. than he became later on. Nothing but trouble. Oh. I, yeah, think, I think that is a, a horror I, movie for another day. I think as a podcast about movies, we are required at some point to mention nothing but trouble. So there, now we got it out of the way. Yeah, now we got it out of the way. Now we've joined the club. Now we're not some amateur hour. We've <laughs> we've said the words nothing but trouble. Where where's my seven hundred thousand dollars? Which is a question I'm going to ask from now on. Where is my seven hundred thousand dollars? So let's very quickly I'll, normally you would think this is where you talk about ali because he appears to die in the sequence spoiler alert for a film that came out 33 years ago he doesn't die in the sequence he will come back later so we will talk about him he, then he somehow manages to survive being beaten in the head with a, with a pipe wrench i think it was a club of some type yeah some iteration it, it's a it's an object that he is squarely nailed with three times, two of them when he's already on the ground. I love Ali's attack in the sequence, and I can't wait to talk about it, but it won't be today. Because we have to use the time remaining to talk about Would You Rather. It's Choose Your Own Death Venture time. And while the instrument of death doesn't change, its location does. Gina... Would you rather be killed by a pitchfork through the neck and then suspended from a beam or killed by a pitchfork through your midsection with a cigarette dangling from your mouth? Midsection. I midsection. We don't really we don't really see how well I mean I guess it didn't it couldn't have taken her that long to die. But she's definitely out by the time Loco reaches the the loft of the barn and it doesn't oddly enough does not seem to be covered in blood which i think you would be yeah it's a, a surprisingly bloodless death other than um andy the the the, the deaths in this are a little dry I'll say. <laughs> um, <laughs> squeezed know, of their last juices yeah luckily, uh, we don't have a lot of corpse juice in this yeah, one yeah luckily in part the first death in part four really makes up for that but but mm-hmm. we'll, we'll get up to that obviously no i'm gonna have to say i'm still gonna say midsection though i'm gonna say suspended because i think it sort of cuts off her oxygen i think she's dead quite quickly and I don't know. It seems vainglorious, whereas Loco's death through the midsection. I don't know. When you get stabbed in the stomach, that can take a really long time. Well, he did. Uh, he to, did. He did live long enough to reach around and feel like, oh, there's a pitchfork in my body. Well, how else would you prove to the audience that it went all the way through? That's yeah. the most important part of anyone's death. Prove to the audience that this trick is real. Yeah, and then also hold up, stand, you know, stand long enough to be able to shove the handle of the pitchfork into the audience's faces. Yes. 
Because do you get it yet? Do you get that this is in 3D? Let me stick it a little further in your face. And so this brings us, sadly, to the end of our time here at Kill by Kill. Uh, Gina, uh, where can people find you on the internet? I write about old television, very old television, um, at tuneintonight.wordpress.com. Oh, check it out, people. It is fantastic. And as always, you can reach out to us. Please let us know what you think about the show, what you think about these characters, anything you think we might have missed that you want to bring up. We'd love to hear from you. There's a couple ways you can do that. On Twitter, we're at KillByKillPod, and we have an email account at KillByKillPod at gmail.com. Let us know what you think. Uh, we're also on Facebook. If you look up Kill by Kill Podcast, uh, we have a group there uh, that would love to embrace you with open arms or arms wide open if you're that kind of uh, early 2000s rock fan, which there should not be any of. Anyways, uh, for Gina Rancliffe, this is Patrick Hamilton, and we will see you next time. Bye bye. Bye, everyone. Kill by Kills produced by We Write Good and is intended for entertainment purposes only. Friday the 13th is owned by Paramount Pictures. Jason is owned by New Line Cinema. No infringement is intended. Kill by Kill logo was designed by Josh Hollis. Visit him at joshhollis.com. The Kill by Kill theme was created exclusively for us by Revenge Body. Get the whole track and much, much more at revengebodymemphis.bandcamp.com today.